1: episode 58 of losing a child always Andy's mom. I'm Marcy Larson, Andy's mom. As my regular listeners know, one of my biggest pet peeves as a bereaved person are the sort of platitudes that you hear from other people that are very well meaning but really just are end up being irritating. Things like this all happened for a reason. Everything is for the best. This is all part of a greater plan. All of those things can be hard to hear. One of the comments that I think is the most difficult for bereaved parents to hear is, well, I'm glad you're young. You can have another baby. As if it's just that easy, that you can just have another baby And forget about the one that you lost or somehow pretend like that pregnancy or that infant or young child didn't even exist. Choosing to get pregnant again after losing a baby either in pregnancy or after birth is not easy. It is a terrible challenge and with plenty of emotions all around. Today's guest, Joey, is an expert in this area. She talks with newly bereaved parents who are on this journey to try to get pregnant again, to really find a balance between wanting another child and not forgetting the ones that they have lost. She recently wrote a book entitled Rebirth, The Journey of Pregnancy After a Loss you can get this book online through Amazon. I will make sure to have a link to purchase the book on my webpage. You can also get it in bookstores everywhere. Today, Joey talks about the book and just about the difficulties of pregnancy after loss. As a reminder, be sure to visit my webpage, andysmom.com. On it, I post every week pictures of the people that I interview and their children. I recently learned that not everyone was aware of the fact that I post these pictures every week, so I just do want to remind you to go to the webpage. Another thing you can do is sign up for my email list. If you sign up for the email list, then every week you will get a link with the write-up that I do about the episode along with uh, numerous pictures and a link to be able to listen right through your email. Thanks again for listening and enjoy. I want to thank you so much, Joey, for agreeing to come on the show today. I really appreciate it. Thank you. It's my absolute pleasure to be here. Well, why don't you start out by telling the audience
2: just a little bit about yourself and your background? Sure. I am based in Chicago, and I have been working in the area of women's health, um, reproductive health, specifically reproductive psychology and loss and trauma for approximately the past 20 years, working with individuals and couples who have experienced the loss of a pregnancy or the death of a baby or the loss of a child. And you told me that you have a long history. It didn't start out really
1: focusing on infant and pregnancy loss, did it? Correct.
2: I first began working also in Chicago in the areas of emergency medicine and adult trauma and obtained a lot of experience working with crisis intervention and sudden and infant death and then instant death and then was eventually recruited to work at the other end of the life cycle Um, at Northwestern Memorial Hospital coordinating their perinatal loss program and specifically working with women who had experienced some complication during pregnancy and lost a baby at any point during any of the three trimesters, delivery, or during infancy.
1: Mm -hmm. And you're on
2: today because
1: you have just written a book, right?
2: Yes, it was just released yesterday and it's called Rebirth and it focuses on the journey of pregnancy after a loss.
1: And it's interesting, I talked to you earlier that I have many of my listeners who have lost children in pregnancy or early in infancy. And I know I recently was emailing with a woman who lost twins very, very young. They I mean, I think they were only a few days old. And she feels like people don't appreciate her grief as much as they say as they would maybe mine, because I had Andy for 14 years. And she only had her kids for that time in utero and then those few days afterwards. And I remember talking to her and saying, you started loving those babies the minute you knew you were pregnant. The loss is the same. The dreams are the same.
2: And from my standpoint, I I couldn't agree more with that. We were talking earlier and had commented that loss is loss, and it is so individual. And I think in every situation involving loss, whether it's the loss of an adult parent even, It is the loss of all of those future hopes and dreams. Mm -hmm. And no time ever feels like enough time. And if we have another hour, we want another day, we want another week, we want another year. And with regard to grief and loss, one of my messages has always been that I believe that the grief is reflective of the depth of the attachment, Mm -hmm. not the length of the relationship Mm -hmm. for many women they are attached from the moment they find out they're pregnant and certainly having a 14-year-old son absolutely attached and we we want more time and so sometimes we do find some comfort in the memories mm-hmm. from the past but in other ways for parents that can be haunting thinking you know I do want to celebrate his 15th birthday or you know her second year birthday And it's the loss of these future hopes and dreams that that people grieve and continue to grieve. It's not that there's a finite loss and we get over losing a child. I I always tell parents, I think we can learn to live with the loss. But, you know, words like closure or, you know, I'm over it. I I think for a parent, that's an absolute impossibility. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Absolutely. That just does not
1: happen. And I think, too, in your area, so many people think that it's comforting to say, well, you're young, Mm -hmm. you can have another baby, you can have another one, like that will somehow replace what they've lost.
2: And I think on so many levels, it's incorrect. You know, it's a guarantee that we can't always suggest to parents, you know, some parents, Struggled through infertility to conceive the first time and may or may not always be able to conceive again. And there is no such thing as a replacement child, even if somebody has had a recurrent pregnancy loss and does go on to have one, two, three or four children, none of those children will ever replace the baby who was lost. And I think for the the patient population I work with, they've learned all too well that pregnancy is not a promise. Yes. It's not always a guarantee of the happily ever after, unfortunately. Mm -hmm.
1: I know for me, I lost my first pregnancy as well. And we had just announced it, actually, because, you know, we waited, right? I waited until I was past 13 weeks. And I thought, well, I'm into the second trimester now. Now I can make this grand announcement to my family. And then within a week of that announcement, we lost our baby. And I mean, it was devastating to me. I I remember just feeling crushed and not wanting to get out of bed and just crying. And I had another mom of, I was in my pediatric residency and another one of the resident's wives, they had lost a baby, which I did not know. And she talked to me and it was helpful. But the worst thing really was that I hadn't told people until just a few days before. So my extended family did not really grieve, right? Because they had not even had time to get used to the idea of us being pregnant. And so in subsequent pregnancies, I told people right away because I thought if this happens again and we lose another baby, I need people to understand my sadness and I want people to be sad. So I know I had people kind of question that I told people so soon, but it was by far smarter. I think,
2: yeah. And I, I think, again, it is so individual that there are many people who wait until after the first trimester to disclose news of pregnancy, waiting you know, for the risk of miscarriage to decrease, or they wait to get through their level 2 20-week ultrasound or genetic testing, and they feel this sense of increased confidence. I'm home free. and And why shouldn't they feel that way? The overwhelming majority of women do have healthy term pregnancies. But I, I think that your um, situation will resonate with many women because after that loss, there's the sense of isolation and loneliness and feeling that, you know, this is very real for the person going through it, but it's not always reflected by people around you mm-hmm. when people don't necessarily know. And and the term that I've, I've used over and over again with patients is that Pregnancy loss can almost feel like an invisible disability, you know, that if you had fallen and fractured your femur and you were in a full leg cast, people could see that injury and they might stumble over themselves trying to, you know, offer you a seat or to open the door for you. And with regard to a pregnancy loss or, or different types of reproductive losses, there's not always that visible um injury that is apparent to others and even for women who do disclose news of pregnancies sometimes it's it's difficult when a pregnancy ends in loss to anticipate what is going to be very helpful that if the support group and that the extended family and friends do show up and and are supportive in ways that that truly feel helpful that's wonderful but sometimes even with knowledge of a pregnancy When there is a loss, sometimes people have dismissive comments such as, you know, you'll get over this or Mm -hmm. you're healthy, you're young, as you were mentioning, you you can have another baby. And so sometimes even for women who disclose early when there is a loss, it can be a double edged sword that earlier disclosure. And so, yes, indeed, I want more people to know that this is real and it affects so many women. But there's not one right formula through this that mm-hmm. works for everyone, because sometimes people's comments aren't always comforting or helpful. And the alternative is to have women suffer in silence um, if, if they don't share, which is not a great alternative either.
1: Well, I know even in the popular media recently, there was, I, I can't remember her name, Chrissy
2: something. Chrissy <laughs> Teigen.
1: Teigen. Yes. She... miscarried or had a stillbirth or it was a miscarriage I think it was I don't know how far along in pregnancy she was but got very hurtful comments about even saying it wasn't even a real baby yet because she was not past the point where she could have had a legal abortion and so I mean wow how hurtful is that I mean clearly she loved this child her husband loved this child and Just because you they she could have legally had an abortion does not mean that's any different. It's so sad.
2: Grief is so individual, and it remains so misunderstood and unfortunately Mm -hmm. minimized in a number of cases. And while we are talking, you know, as as a as society as a whole, we're talking more about miscarriage. There's still a lot of conversation that needs to take place to increase awareness and deepen sensitivity. These losses are real. This was someone's child. Um, And that loss occurs during the first trimester. You know, I've had patients who have had an early loss who may on the outside, it might not look as deep or as significant. For example, someone who went through five years of fertility treatments, and tried and tried and tried to conceive only to have an early loss. For that yeah. patient of mine, like she already had a name for that baby. Mm-hmm. Um, she had a room for that baby in her home already. There, there's a lot of anticipation that goes with parenthood. And so it's not just the loss of the future. But in, in, in some ways, it's also the loss of some of the past. You know, that if an older adult dies, a grandparent, for example, maybe we have 80 years of memories of that person and and pictures and belongings. And when a baby or a child dies, it's the loss of the future. But it's also the loss of, of much of the past that we and, plan.
1: Right. And I think, too, about I, since I've lost Andy, I'm in more parent loss support groups on Facebook and things like that. And I see many times pictures of babies that are born stillborn or born quite early. And and then there can be on the outside people that would criticize that. But when you think about that, those are the only memories you have. Mm-hmm. That's the only time you're going to get to see your baby is in those moments afterwards. I. They have in a hospital in um, Britain, they've got a very cool thing where you if you have a stillbirth, they will actually let you keep the baby with you for quite some time. And they even have some that will let you take the baby home. And they have a crib that's actually all filled with ice. And it stays very, very cold. So you can put the baby back there because they want to be able to give these women a few memories with the baby
2: facilitate some of that bonding. And I think some of society's reactions have more to do with their discomfort, their own discomfort with grief, Mm -hmm. right there, their standard adage is when an older adult dies, we say, I'm so sorry for your loss. We know to send a card or to send food or, you know, send flowers and when a baby or a child dies, people don't always know what to do. And Mm -hmm. I think some of those reactions, it's not an excuse, but maybe perhaps more of an explanation. People are so uncomfortable, right? that, That many times bystanders will push that loss away or make a judgment. And I think, well, no one's more uncomfortable than the grieving parents. They've just lost their child. And thankfully, more and more hospitals and providers are facilitating contact between parents and their children, whether it's in the form of infant memorial photography, whether it's having a designated room in a hospital where bereaved parents can spend time with their baby or their child um, away from a newborn nursery, for example to be able to have privacy and to be able to have some dignity and contact in a very respectful and loving, albeit very difficult and heartbreaking way. Mm -hmm. It's so funny. I just think
1: back to those, those days after that pregnancy loss. I mean, I remember I had to, you know, we found out that the baby had died and I was very, very sick. So I was so nauseated and getting sick all the time and they said, We have to do a DNC. You're you're just too sick. I mean, that's the reason they had I had come in a little bit earlier to them them check the heartbeat again because I just was so sick. And they said, We should really do this DNC tomorrow, which of course was my husband's birthday, which was A horrible thing to do. And yes, I had a DNC then, and then I ended up, we had to go out and buy me new pants because none of my pants fit, but I couldn't go buy maternity clothes because I wasn't going to be getting any bigger. So it's just so much, so much. And then I feel like I ruined my husband's birthday, which it had nothing to do with me. I mean, it was not my fault that this pregnancy was ending and i wasn't ruining my husband's birthday but
2: i it's what you feel like you feel like kind of a failure and i think not only you know is it just the physical you know the physical aspects that women have to deal with feeling nauseous having to go through an induction of labor you know following a fetal demise or going through a dnc or a dne that it's also the additional layers emotionally, mm-hmm. right? It hits with this with this shock and suddenness. Sometimes decisions need to be made quickly. What are we going to do? How will I be delivered? What's going to happen? What happens to the baby's body? And these are really difficult things to talk about when we're not, you know, when, when we are feeling physically healthy and well, much less not, and with a sense of urgency sometimes or or time sensitivity surrounding that and i think again for the for the patient population i work with that it's not just dealing with their grief in the moment mm-hmm. but for many parents it's feeling that there isn't going to be an unlimited time in which they have to make decisions if somebody is going to think about trying again mm-hmm. and women wrestle with depression and and trauma reactions sometimes anxiety and then the pressure of I want a baby. I want a family, or I want more than one child, and I don't have the luxury of time to wait. And so many women also feel this additional pressure of if I'm going to grow my family or I'm going to think about increasing that size, I have to make decisions right now. And so there's all of this pressure on top of really raw and profound grief. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm
1: as a little bit of a happy sort of ending to our story is that, you know, I had that DNC on Eric's birthday. And one year to the day later, I gave birth to my daughter on my husband's birthday. So it was a little bit of a redeeming thing for me to be able to I feel like I gave him his birthday back in a way because I had really felt like I ruined his birthday forever. Um, but I still think about that baby. I do. And in my mind, it's a little boy. I mean, in in my mind, Andy got to meet his brother. Mm-hmm.
2: Mm-hmm. We <laughs> never forget. And with regard to some of those associations, my guess is that on some level, you will always remember that DNC on his birthday. And there doesn't mean that there can't be happiness and joy. It just means there's so many more chapters to these stories, right? Mm -hmm. That someone could come in and and see a subsequent delivery and there's celebrations and there's joy. But we also need to remember who came before, Mm -hmm. right? And Um, I
1: tell you, I do that Very much. I go and see new babies, right? I'm a pediatrician. So I go see babies when they're born. And especially when I see, recently I saw a mom who this was her fifth pregnancy and her first baby. Mm -hmm. And I walked in and of course I told her congratulations. And I said, this was a long time coming this day mm-hmm. and I think she yeah, really yeah. appreciated that because I don't think everyone does that I think yeah. they'll be like oh first baby and all happiness when there I am certain that that woman had an unbelievable just sense of relief too it wasn't just happiness it there was so much right because there was so much pain that she had gone through losing four pregnancies before
2: and it if- complicated and it's layered and having another baby, while in some ways that does mark a finish line of sorts, right, again, it's not reflective of the entire story and what a gift you gave that woman, right, to recognize all of the steps and the tears and the pain and the trials to get to that point. And I, I think society, again, tends to misunderstand what the exterior, it, it, society fails to, to look sometimes deeper than just the exterior shell of there's a new baby. You know, there's this perfectly healthy baby. Having another baby after a loss isn't just a reset, right? And I've had some family members who have said, well, you know, so-and-so finally got what she really wanted or, you know, everything is all well and good in the end. Well, it, it's well and good that she delivered a healthy full-term baby. Yes. Right. But, but that doesn't make up for her four prior
1: losses. Yeah. And her family is still not complete. I mean, just because you have now a pregnancy that ended in a term healthy delivery does not mean that you don't still miss the other children. I too, I really think it's important as a pediatrician to know as many times as I can, if women have lost babies especially a little later in pregnancy because the amount of anxiety they tend to have as mothers is higher i mean it is the the concern about this infant is just higher because you feel like i've already lost one i and i know this has gone further and i know this baby is actually living but there's still that little bit inside on not all women i mean i take care of women who have miscarriages that i don't see they're just not anxious people so and they don't hold that extra anxiety but i certainly see women that do
2: and i think that that can continue even well into the postpartum period and through infancy that yeah. when you've been struck by lightning when you've been that one in a million right statistics or recurrence risks even if they're quoted as astronomically low are not always reassuring. You know, when you've been taught and learned that bad things can and do happen, right? Right. Possible all of a sudden becomes probable for many women. And the anxiety, it can be off the charts where it's, I don't trust myself, I don't trust my pediatrician, I don't trust my partner, because there is so much worry given what somebody had been through. And so learning how to trust, Learning how to get that confidence back. You, you mentioned previously, feeling a sense of you had failed. And I think for women who have experienced a pregnancy or an infant loss, feeling that the medical system failed, feeling that the world failed, feeling that their maybe obstetrician failed, you know, why couldn't this have been prevented? Why wasn't something identified? And then feeling on a very personal level, right? I failed, my body failed. So there can be this extraordinary sense of shame and and wrong. And I tell women, you're not wrong. Something very wrong happened to you, right? Mm -hmm. And we we can learn to work through some of the anxiety and better manage it, but it takes some distance from the loss because there's, there's a huge loss of innocence when somebody loses a baby and this extraordinary increase in vulnerability. Um, that that people start to fear everything um, mm-hmm. because even even the words we use when we're pregnant. I'm expecting. Yes, I'm I'm anticipating. You know, mm-hmm. nine months and a happily ever after. And when that is shattered, um, it, it's very difficult to trust again. And it's not impossible, but especially for women and and women with premorbid anxiety or panic disorders, that that challenge is even greater. But there are ways to to well treat the anxiety to help women feel an increased sense of control. Mm-hmm.
1: That is so true when you say losing trust, because I feel like, especially after the loss of Andy, I like lost all trust in the world that things would be right, that things would work out. You know, you have this sense of optimism that, oh, everything will work out and we'll be okay. And that just, you just lose that.
2: It's just it's like. shattered. It's shattered. And I think it doesn't just extend to your relationship with your son. You know, it can extend to your relationship with other children, to a relationship with a partner where, you know, if your partner says I'm coming home in 20 minutes and all of a sudden it's 25 minutes because he or she got caught in traffic, it's, oh my gosh, something horrible has oh, yeah. happened or a headache is believed to be a brain tumor, that again, it's this sense of vulnerability and that that trust in the world and that things will be okay in the end. Um, initially, that can feel impossible to to believe in and or hold on to.
1: So tell us about the book and what you really wanted to accomplish with the book and just just a little bit about that, where that came from. So the-
2: became an extension of my clinical work. I'm in private practice in Chicago. And while I see women and men for issues across the board, depression and anxiety, couples counseling, um, my main focus tends to be pregnancy and infant and, and pediatric loss. And I really wanted parents to know that they weren't alone. That, again, we don't talk about these types of losses as much as we should in society. And I wanted people to have somewhat of a roadmap from the point of tragedy, when people feel that they're in this, an emotional free fall, lost and spinning, and they can't see at all to find ways to learn, to start to put some of the pieces back together again. And they don't fit exactly the same way. And some pieces feel forever broken, but I really wanted women to know that there can be life after loss. And so this, this book um, was a result of working with thousands and thousands and thousands of women over the last 20 years who absolutely captured my attention and my heart. And I've included 25 of, of parts of their stories in the book as well that that do really uh, show that, that, that women can go on to find joy again and heal while also remembering their baby or child who came before. mm
1: mm-hmm. I think that's really important. I know I've talked to some women who have lost babies. And I almost get the sense that some of them feel like they don't even want to get pregnant again. First of all, I think there's a fear. But secondly, it's that then everyone will think I'm okay now. Mm -hmm. And that it just didn't matter as much. And oh, and I think of women who's moms (laughs) whose mothers say, oh, you just need to get pregnant again. You just need uh, to have another baby and everything will be all right. Like that's just going to fix everything. And so I think in those cases, people can be even more hesitant than they want to be, right? Because the reason you got pregnant in the first place is presumably because you wanted to have a baby and you wanted to be a mother. And so that want is not going to go away,
2: And in some ways that want increases when someone has had the experience of being pregnant. I, I think that speaks to the depth of the attachment that even in spite of the loss and in spite of some of the trauma and the anxiety or the worry that the overwhelming majority of women who have had a loss, approximately 80% do go on to conceive again. And I think it's not just the hesitation surrounding will other people think I'm okay or everything is all right and well again, you know, and good with the world. But it's also this internal conflict of Mm -hmm. feeling, you know, the last person who was inside of me was my son or my daughter. And what does that mean to my relationship with him or her if I conceive again? Mm -hmm. So it's not just, again, externally with society or with extended family and friends, It's also, there there can also be this internal conflict of, I don't want to forget my son. And how do I dare even think about forming an attachment or dare I say, falling in love with another child? And what I always tell women is, you know, I say that that love grows, Mm -hmm. right? That that love doesn't stop. And the farther and farther women get from, you know, their lost pregnancy or the death of their child, there's additional confirmation. Like you will never forget about Andy. Right. And, you know, even just with, with, with your podcast, you are reaching more and more people and he is becoming even bigger because he's touching more lives. And so with a subsequent, you know, baby or child, there's another person who's going to grow to love. Yeah. Their sibling. And so it's, it's not about forgetting it, that, that love I believe between a mother and a child is forever you know that's true love and that transcends things like distance and space and time That death cannot break that bond and it's giving women permission right and encouraging them to simultaneously hold two conflicting emotions and attachments it's like you know we do in marriages or you know having more than one child that it's not exclusive
1: I think you can tend to think of it as a pie. Like I have, my love is a pie. And if I have to cut the pie in half, now I only have half of the love for one and half for another. When in all actuality, you just baked another pie. You just doubled the amount of love in your heart. You didn't divide it in two. And I think that can be hard to grasp, especially when you lose a first pregnancy.
2: Mm-hmm. And again, whether the pregnancy is planned or not, right, that in many ways it's desired. And again, is that attachment and whether that it happens prior to, you know, the first pregnancy test or the first beta or whether that, you know, emerges and begins to develop um, that for many women, this attachment was wanted. And mm-hmm. so have that taken away without, you know, it, it's, it's, it's one thing to lose when we get a fair chance at something, right? Like we've all played a game and we've lost, right? And to feel like, you know, I, I gave it my, my all. I, you know, I was able to play to the end. And I think with regard to pregnancy loss or losing or with the death of a child, it's not a fair fight you know mm-hmm. it it it's it's not a choice um that sometimes these things happen and again it can be absolutely devastating i think
1: to when you just said about that love that develops i recently had a guest on isaac's mom and isaac's mom shared that she got pregnant very very young it was unexpected people on the outside thought her life was over and yet she knew that it just began, and that from that moment she found out she was pregnant, everything changed, and nothing was about her anymore. Everything was about Isaac. I mean, she considered him a blessing from the beginning. Mm -hmm. Um, So that just goes to show people can't really tell from the outside, you know. I was a Stephen minister in my church, and there was a woman whose teenage daughter got pregnant, and she immediately thought, this is not good timing, she's a teenager, and she miscarried the baby. Mm. And that girl and her mom, grandma, really mourned this baby. And they actually almost mourned it, she feels like she mourned it more because she felt like I was saying I didn't want him and now suddenly he's gone and or she this baby is gone and I mean it's so crazy I think what can end up happening with your emotions it's a pregnancy that you didn't even think you wanted and then you lose it and you still are in devastated yeah
2: Indeed. And even with a pregnancy that is wanted, you know, sometimes when women experience early signs and symptoms of pregnancy, whether it's nausea and vomiting, you know, even, you know, not even hyperemesis, but just, you know, mild nausea and vomiting, and they don't feel well, Mm -hmm. sometimes pushing that away. And then when a loss occurs, beating themselves up mercilessly, you know, was this my fault? Did I not really want this pregnancy? What is I not grateful enough? And so again, it's all of these layers that, that we as women can put on ourselves, where it's the raw grief, it's the depression, it's the disappointment, the devastation, the trauma, the anxiety, the guilt, you know, guilt yeah. Yeah. the anger, right? Mm-hmm. This is so unfair. Why me? Or I was taking care of myself. Why did this happen to me? Why now? I was doing everything right Again, it just shatters the sense of, of trust and confidence, and especially in ourselves. Mm-hmm. I know I had a very hard
1: time. You know, I was in my pediatric residency, and I had to go back to work really right away. And I pushed myself to go back to work right away because I knew that I did want to get pregnant again. And residency is three years. And you can take six weeks off for maternity leave, but now I'm going to have to stay six weeks longer in my training and I'm not going to get done at the same time as everyone else. So I can't go and take time off from this miscarriage because I, I mean, how can I do that? And now I'm just, I'm putting more stress on my coworkers too, right? We're on call depending on where we were every third night or every fourth night. Now people are having to cover for me. It's one thing if you have a baby at home, but when you don't, you just feel this pressure that you need to just go. And how horrible was it for me to be working in our NICU? Mm -hmm. I mean, so hard. I would look at the babies because we would have 26, 28, 30-week babies And I would be looking and saying, that's what my baby should look like right now. Right? Mm -hmm. I wasn't able to take time to mourn.
2: No. keep going. And even just looking at how society addresses bereavement, you know, with adult loss, most companies, most organizations give families... 3 days, three days. Of bereavement leave right and that leaves me incredulous 3 days is not even beginning to grieve in some cases and with regard to having to take your maternity leave right there are some women who don't allow themselves maternity leave and there are some organizations that unfortunately still don't support maternity leave when there isn't a physical baby and just mm-hmm didn't have the baby doesn't mean your body didn't need to heal absolutely it does but also emotionally there's extraordinary adjustment that is occurring thinking i was planning on continuing this pregnancy and having this baby and i just been thrown off that path right for some women it can be helpful and 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 men as well to resume work to have some sense of normalcy Normalcy. some sense of control or cause and effect, being able to feel productive and useful. But ideally, that happens when it's a choice versus this felt pressure or obligation. Mm-hmm. You have to perform and be on point and concentrate and focus. And especially walking back into the NICU or for women I've worked with who have themselves been labor and delivery nurses, mm-hmm. right? there are reminders of fertility everywhere, right? We can't escape it. There are pregnant women and babies everywhere. And it's just this cruel reminder of you have something I don't, and you have something I really want. And so there again, can be feelings of jealousy and anger. And that, that can be confusing to women thinking, I don't feel like I'm a mean or spiteful person, but now I'm, I'm having all of these really uncomfortable feelings. I don't want to be a jealous person. I just want my baby. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I think it's really important for people to know that they are not alone. Mm-hmm. I live in Chicago and there are a lot of resources in a large city for people who experience the loss of a pregnancy or the death of a baby or a child. And there are an increasing and ever number or ever increasing number of resources available for people who don't live in larger metropolitan urban areas, whether it's online, even just through my book. And I think sometimes the people who we expect to lean on, whether it's a spouse or a family member, a best friend. Sometimes those people aren't available in, in various ways and for various reasons. And I don't want any woman going through this to ever feel that she's alone. And so it's important not to just have a support person, but to have a support network and to reach out, whether it's you know a support group, whether it's online, whether it's listening to a podcast these losses are real and it's so important to validate the emotions surrounding them and to experience them versus to just stuff them i think in 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 cases where we try to do that they almost become like a spring you know the more we push down the more force we give them versus being able to say i am depressed or i'm terrified or i'm anxious or i'm heartbroken it allows us to begin the work to process that and to begin the difficult work to try to heal while never forgetting. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I think
1: I had a mom on early in my podcast, so almost a year ago now, last year, November, and she, they knew that the baby was going to die. She found out earlier in pregnancy that the baby would not live, and she elected to take it to term. And that's, wow, what a decision that would be to make. My mom had a best friend who did that very same thing. The baby had no kidneys, so when babies do not have kidneys, they actually breathe in and out the amniotic fluid that the kidneys really produce. The kidneys produce urine and that goes in the amniotic fluid. And if they don't have kidneys, there is no fluid. That's very, very low fluid. And so when out the fluid for babies to be able to breathe, I put in air quotes, they, their lungs do not develop. So those babies are born and they cannot breathe and they very shortly die. And I have taken care of those infants. But I think back to when that happened to my mom's friend. She was a bank teller. And everyone would ask her, oh, what do you do? What do you do? And she would obviously tell them. But she knew this baby would not live more than about 24 hours. And then she had to go back to work and have everyone say, how's your baby? And the baby didn't live. Um, It's just very... Takes a lot of bravery to be able to go through with that. I mean, I think both of those women did not regret it. They loved being able to hold their babies. They loved being able to dress their babies. They loved being able to see them, uh, even though they weren't going to be able to take them home. Mm -hmm. So, if you can talk about that a little too.
2: I, I think, again, more and more hospitals are supporting and facilitating time for parents to have with their children. And there's a wonderful organization called Now I Lay Me Down to Sleep. And they provide they provide um, infant memorial photography all over the United States in situations like this. And they, they gift them um, portraits to the families. And I think really supporting some of the individual decision-making. There are many parents who do decide when they are given advance notice of a, of a fatal um, diagnosis to continue until death occurs spontaneously, whether that's prior to delivery, during, or after. And there are other parents who make the decision to say, I can't get more attached than I already am. Yes, And I'm not going to go through that. And that mm-hmm. doesn't I don't desperately want to see and hold and touch my baby. It means I need to make a different decision for myself. And, and I, I think either you are perfectly
1: right that either decision is a painful, horrible thing to do. And it, one is not better than the other, for sure. So I don't want to say that. but
2: and, and I think, again, you know, these are really courageous decisions, but I think that that women, many women don't feel that they have a choice, right? Mm-hmm. Sometimes a decision between horrible and terrible, that these mm-hmm. are excruciating decisions. And I think with regard to that woman who had to return to the bank and field questions surrounding, you know, how's your baby or, you know, how old is your baby now when there isn't a baby? these are very difficult conversations to have. And I think we're not prepared and and we don't have guidance in terms of what to say. Mm -hmm. And there might be some situations where a woman will engage in conversation and say, you know, my baby didn't survive or my baby died. And other times women might choose not to engage in that conversation at all. And that doesn't mean she wasn't attached. It simply means she's choosing not to engage with a stranger right. on a very personal and intimate topic. Yeah. And so, even questions in the in the days and the years upcoming, you know, it's standard adage to to ask somebody, you know, how many children do you have? I know, like what a loaded question that is. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, it's how much time do you have, and are you really going to listen to my answer? And so. Mm-hmm we become very good at critically assessing which relationships are the most meaningful for us. You know, who is best able to listen, truly listen to us. And and those are the people we engage with. And those are the people who ultimately learn our stories and our Mm. histories, right? But there might be interactions where sometimes women choose to lean out, you know, in in a situation where it's a customer at her, you know, at her window she might choose not to engage just because it's painful and she's choosing to keep that more private and there's not a right or a wrong here but it goes to show you that these losses do affect us and and are part of us um and sometimes the implications continue indefinitely for years and years if not forever
1: i know i had another mom who lost her son as an infant to cancer and she that was her first and then she had other children and when she had her daughter they were in McDonald's and some stranger said is that your oldest and she just said yes because it was this complete stranger she did not want to go into it and she was sitting with her mother and her mother kind of looked at her with this look of horror on her face like how did you just not acknowledge your son you know but in the moment that was just easier. I mean, mm-hmm. what is she going to do? No, she he has an older she has an older brother who is dead. I mean, that's you she just didn't want to go there. It doesn't mean that she won't go there in other circumstances, but it's just who you want to disclose those private things to.
2: And also it's one thing to know. I'm going to meet a dear friend and we're going to have a very private conversation versus someone coming up to you in a public setting you know, out of left field, unexpected, and these losses are very private and they are very, very personal. And so I I don't believe in that situation. It was her not acknowledging the child. It was her acknowledging this is not going to be a conversation that is going to be productive or that I'm choosing to engage in and I need to redirect it or I need to exit out of the conversation. Well done, her.
1: Yeah, I think so, too. I think so, too. Well, thank you so much for sharing with us, for sharing the
2: book. Tell us again how to get the book. Um, The book is currently available on Amazon. And again, the title is Rebirth, The Journey of Pregnancy After a Loss. And it's available for order now. And it's in most major book um, shops as well. So thank you again. Thank you so much. It's been an honor to be on your show.
0: Thanks for listening to Losing a Child, Always Andy's Mom. Please subscribe to the show on your favorite podcast player. We are always looking for new show ideas. If you'd like to be a guest, know someone who'd be a great guest, or have a show idea, please email us at marcy@andysmom.com. Be sure to visit the webpage andysmom.com for more content, including Marcy's blog. There you can also sign up to receive updates via email. Together, let's work to inspire hope, one day at a time.